Hi, I'm Scott Cooper, and this is the Tales from the Trail podcast by Matchplay. In this episode, Justin Chesham, head coach of men's soccer at Christopher Newport University, and I welcome Steve Swanson, the longtime head coach of the University of Virginia women's soccer program. Steve discussed his time with the women's national team, being a part of two World Cup wins, and developing great players and teams at UVA, and how recruiting in college athletics is changing. Great visit from a top-caliber coach and person. Thank you, Coach Swanson. If you're enjoying the podcast and find it valuable, please consider visiting buymeacoffee.com matchplay. These small donations collectively help offset costs and other expenses associated with production of the podcast so I can continue to offer this service for free. Please take an extra minute to rate and review the podcast where you listen. This is a huge help. Share the podcast with whomever you think would be interested and will help in their process. Check us out on social media as well. The links can be found at matchplayrecruit.com. Uh, Coach, we were, we were just talk, talking a little bit about uh, here at CNU. We hosted a UVA game a long time ago with, uh, you know, back when Aleko Eskandarian was playing a big name and it was such a cool environment for us. And, uh, and then you were reminiscing about a time we were supposed to have another game, you guys on the girls' side versus ODU and, it, it fell through with a huge storm that rolled through, but uh, I, I loved hearing what you were talking about, about how afterwards you guys jumped indoors and wanted to play. And uh, so if you don't mind, chat it up a little bit about that. Yeah, I can't remember what year it was. I just know it was before COVID, but we had a game against uh, one of our spring games against ODU. It was our last spring game. And so we drove down. Uh, we left here probably mid-afternoon. Uh, and and it rained the whole time. It rained from the minute we left Charlottesville all the way down to CNU. We got down there. It rained. It rained. And uh, it was thunderstorming as well. We sat there for maybe three or four hours to see if we could play this game. And uh, we ended up couldn't play it at all. We turned around. Uh, probably it was 945 at night. Got back to Charlottesville at 12, 1215. And at the time we had university hall, which was our basketball arena. We played indoor there a lot. And since it was our last spring game, uh, we couldn't make it up. You know, it was the last day of the spring. So we, uh, we, we got out, the, the players wanted to play. We ended up playing indoor for a couple hours and that was our, that was our last spring game that year. So it was, uh, it was a, a good group. We had a good group. They're certainly motivated and, um, that's, that's one thing I remember, uh, about that, that spring and, um, it brought up when you were talking, you were from CNU, it brought up that memory. So, yeah, I think, uh, you know, our field can withstand a lot, but six I know hours we were, we were really down. excited to play on that field. Yeah. I know I that mean, six hours of pouring rain and of course the lightning effect, that doesn't matter what, yeah. how much rain you yeah. get. The lightning of course holds everything back, but, uh, actually I, I, I'm very good buddies with Adam Perrin, uh, your, your men's assistant. Yeah. And I've uh, been knowing each other for a long time. Scott knows him too. We worked together a bunch of camps. And uh, he's asked me to come work a few uh, UVA camps. And I'd, I'd only been maybe once as a kid. And uh, it's, it's crazy. I've been a Virginia kid, but I haven't been to UVA much. And then so I was driving up there to go work the camp. And I, I love seeing you. I think our facilities are awesome. But, man, there is there's a little bit of a whoa, you know, when you pull up. You know, it's just like, <laughs> a, oh, all right. There's a, there's a different feel here. You know, I, you're pulling up. You're, like, reminiscing on some names that are UVA names. You're like, ah, oh, all right, well. And you, you just feel it. And uh, it's, it's a really cool experience. I, I enjoy being up there. Adam, of course, is a good man. I love him. And uh, anytime he wants me to come up and work at camp, he can he's going to get a yes from me. That's a cool spot. Yeah. Well, I think one of the great things about uh, – there's a lot of things, great things about Virginia. But soccer-wise, I think it's great to have a men and a women's team. I'm sure you know that down at CNU with Jamie and things like that. But it's always – it's great to share – ideas uh get creative together talk about recruiting together and we have a good relationship with adam george and and uh matt over there on the men's side and we're fortunate to have uh you know we work together really well we're kind of in the middle of a a master plan uh where our facilities are getting renovated they've been renovated for the last four years so i think that that factor should be even more so now when you come up there's a 70 million dollar olympic sports building being built now there's a 94,000 square foot football performance building so those things uh been in the works uh 
prior to COVID and COVID put us behind a little bit. So I think at, at the end of all this in a year or so, um, I think our, our facilities would, would match any in the country and we're excited about that. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I, I am curious what, uh, what do you think with all the chaos going on with the conferences? Where, what are you hearing? Where are you guys uh, going? I keep hearing your name and UVA is going here, UVA is going there. And it's just, it's just, of course, driven, I'm sure, football and basketball wide. But I mean, is there any insight you can give us on what you think the next five, 10 years are going to look like? No, I think they've changed so rapidly in the last five years that anybody that would think they know what's happening is, 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 um, you know, it's, it's just a real, uh, I, I don't, I wouldn't say unstable, but it's certainly, um, it certainly has changed dramatically in the last couple of years with, uh, with things happening with the transfer portal and NIL and things like that. I think, uh, a lot of these, the conferences are, you know, back in the eighties, the, the, they took away the NCA's uh, stranglehold on the television contracts. And uh, so it wasn't just solely NCA. It was the conferences had the rights to these. So the conferences then uh, took those and, and of course tried to make the most revenue they could out of their deals. And we're kind of now 30 years later, we're kind of the beneficiaries of all that. You know, their conferences are trying to, to stay afloat. Um, you know, it doesn't, in, in one sense, to have two California teams and a Texas team join the ACC doesn't make sense um, for, for a lot of reasons. But I think for pure survival of a conference and not having what happened to the Pac-12 happen, you can right. sort of see it a little bit more. But it's just the... It's just the relative confusion now that the NCA is in and college athletics is, is in as a whole. So, you know, we as a conference made a, a decision uh, several years ago when conference alignment started to happen to stay together. And, uh, you know, I think Florida State is challenging that now. They, they're challenging the, the binding document that they put in about staying with the ACC. And if they, if they don't, they're going to have to pay a pretty significant financial penalty and so i don't know we're we're testing all that now and um you know i've heard a lot of different things as well but um i think what they undertook five years ago or whenever that happened um about staying together as a conference i think that's going to be hard to get out of until uh i think it's 2037 or something like that so uh but florida state's challenging that we'll see um but I think, I think the big thing for all of us as coaches is, uh, you know, how important it is to keep teaching and keep developing players and keep teaching the life lessons that go on. You know, I'm, I'm a little, you know, I'm a little old school in that regard um, that I, I think the reason I got into coaching was for the relationship piece and the, uh, the developing players and those kinds of things. And I'm trying to stay true to that even now in a changing environment. Yeah, I mean, that, how true is that? I mean, it doesn't matter who you're playing or how long of a trip it is or whatever. It's it's still, you've got a bunch of awesome girls and you want to develop them into great people moving forward, not just good soccer players, but you want them to be, you know, good moms, good wives, good workers in the in the world and, you know, good good for society. And that's just, that'll never change. I mean, that's, that's the beauty of the job. And uh, uh, I mean, kind of jumping into that, kind of jumping into recruiting now, um, you know, I, I, I don't like this question at all. And Scott and I kind of laugh about it. Coach Norris and I are good buddies and we talk about this all the time. We get the question, what do you look for in a player? And that's such a vague, broad question. And, uh, you know, it's we, we try to push kids into, hey, why don't you ask, what do you like in me and how do you see me fitting into the program? Like obviously getting a little more precise, but staying on topic, staying on with those girls that are, you know, you're trying to build these relationships with and trying to turn them into awesome human beings. What are some of the commonalities that you're having with these girls that are, where you're seeing at 10, 15, 20 years later when they have their own kids, they have their own families, they have their own jobs and careers. And you're like, man, these are the common traits in those girls. And they, you could see them here, even in the recruiting process when they were 15 years old, when I first started talking to them. I mean, what are, what are some of those traits? And maybe you got some examples of girls that are like, yeah, this is, her timeline and how it went with her. Yeah, I think um, I think that's always a it's an interesting question because I think there's no 
I, I think there's no one size fits all, really. I, I think it, it a lot depends on uh, the coach and and the style that you play. I think those those things are really important. I guess I would start by answering the question this way. I think two of the most important qualities that we recruit for are not uh, soccer related. They're more intrinsic. Uh, so how motivated are they? Uh, you know, do they love the game? Are they willing to suffer and go through adversity, which, you know, we have to have to play at this level yeah. and are they competitive? Um, are, are they, are they competitive? Um, those two things certainly at our level distinguish the women that we, that we're recruiting. And, uh, you know, there's different ways to evaluate that. I think, um, you know, these, these two things, in my opinion, I think we can take, I've, I've worked with a lot lesser talented players that are really, really motivated and they've become great players. And to me, I think the unique aspect of college, uh, which is different than club or high school soccer is for a lot of these players, they, you know, they're traveling long distances to play, which I don't really like. I don't think that's a great thing, but, um, you know, in college, you're here, you're, you're, you've got the, you've got everything you want at your footstep here. You know, you've got you know, the equipment, you've got the fields, you've got the coaches, you've got resources that you can use. And then it's, so really it comes down to your desire and, and what, what, what comes internally for you, how, how good do you want to be? And, uh, you know, that, that was the case for me when I was playing college and, uh, I loved college athletics for that very reason. I didn't have to go anywhere. It was all right there in front of me. Uh, and I could do that in both senses. I could do that within the athletic realm and I could do that in the academic realm and squeeze as much out of the university as I could. So for me, those two things are, are really important. Um, you know, I, I think we are, every team's a little different in how they play and what they value. And, uh, I think for us, um, you know, handling the ball under pressure, um, getting your head up, making good decisions. Those are very important to us. So those are things when we, when we look at players, uh, I think those are things that we, we, you know, we, we look for. I think the biggest change in the women's game for, that I've seen over the last 10 years is it's, there's probably 40% less space than there was 10 years ago. And so there's not as much uh, space. You're going to have to handle the ball. Well, you're gonna have to make quicker decisions in tighter areas. And so what players are able to do that? So those sure. are some things, couple intrinsic, uh, a couple in terms of, uh, you know, controlling the ball, getting their head up, making good decisions that, that we look for. And then I think the other side of uh, the recruiting process is I think nowadays you have to have something special. You know, what, what do you have that's special? Everybody's a little different, you know, and do you have something that you can bring to the table that's special, that's unique, uh, that, that, you know, it could be. Um, one of my better players, she was just exceptionally good at heading the ball. Um, that was a special quality of hers and she adapted and adjusted her game in these other areas. But I think those things are important for us for, for our level as well. Yeah. It's such an interesting, uh, tidbit there. Cause you know, like Amherst in the division three men's side has been a powerhouse for years. And we were watching the national title game last two years ago, last year, two years ago, I forget which one they've been in a few recently. And they had a kid who could flip throw it 60 yards. Yeah, yeah. And the ball goes out of bounds on the attacking half of the field. And the game basically stops so they could set it up as if it's like a free kick. And the kid doesn't matter. He was an outside back, I believe. And doesn't matter where on the field the throw in is. If it's on the attacking half, he would jog over there. I can't imagine what his uh, ticker was on how many miles of just <laughs> jogging to take throw ins. Not even just the game itself. And then he would launch this throw in, and sure enough, it's on a rope, sixty yards. And you're, if you're a goalie, you're like, I got to deal with this thirty, forty times a game. I mean, you're begging your team to kick it out for a corner kick rather than kick it out for a throw in. I mean, it's just that that's so, dangerous. That's so interesting. We lost uh, the 2014 national champion. We played Florida State in the final. It was at Florida Atlantic. And it was in Florida Atlantic's football stadium, which most football stadiums are a little bit smaller. Yep. And they had the same thing. And do you know uh, that ball was in play about 45 minutes out of a 90-minute game because they were oh. doing just that. That's an yeah. Irish player, Megan Campbell. Um, you know, and I'm not taking any way from Florida State. They were a good team. But it was just a different, whole different dynamic to yeah. the game. 
uh, because as you say, you, the ball is out in the, she's a left back. The ball's out on the right side. She's yeah. taking 30 seconds, 40 seconds to get over to throw the ball in the box. And that happened over and over again. So yeah, I God can relate to that. Down. Yeah. God forbid you're down a goal early. That 45 seconds to walk over there turns into a minute pretty yes. quickly. And she's going to adjust her socks a little bit. Yes. You know, especially late in the game, she's like, well, I haven't got my yellow card yet. I'll go ahead and take a yellow and stall yeah. a little bit more. And yeah, uh, I mean, it's, but it's true, you know, sticking to the recruiting thing. If, if you have that talent, you know, like I'm assuming maybe you got a little film of the girl that was a really good header or, you know, Coach Sapone up at Amherst. Maybe he got video of this kid just launching a ball, but put it in your video, put it in there, put it in there. Like, look, this is where I have a specialty here. I've got a wicked left foot. I could score from anywhere within 30 yards. Like, well, show me something like right away, like put it in your film right away. Make sure I know about it. Make sure I, when I finally get to put eyes on you, I want to see that special talent immediately. You can run a, a four three forty. I got to see this as fa- you know, as soon as I can on the field. And yeah, I, I agree with you. If you have something special, put it out there. Let it, let us see it right away. Yep, yep, for sure, for sure. And there's there's so many different ways that you can impact the game, and so many different qualities that you can have. So you have to embrace the things that you have, and uh, you have to work to overcome some of the things that maybe you're not. You know, I, I wasn't a. I'm, I'm a, a relatively short. Uh, I was relatively short player, short guy. Um, so you just have to deal with that, you know, and, and how can you best impact the game? That's the great thing about soccer is such a, a neat game that all shapes and sizes can play and you can be effective. Um, and so you have to learn that you have to, you know, and the only way you can learn that is play, you know? Right. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting talking about recruiting you, you're recruiting some of the best kids in the country, national pool, national team kids. And, but you also have in the state of Virginia, a love for UVA where, I mean, I can't tell you how, how many girls, right. You say, and my dad went to UVA, my mom went to UVA. I love the school. I I've got 20 hoodies in my closet with the UVA logo on it. So that kid could be just as valued just because of what you talked about earlier, motivated, competitive, just a love for the school. Uh, You know, if you don't mind, talk about how you recruit a Morgan Bryan versus just a local girlfriend. I think you got a Leesburg kid, an Arlington kid that just loved the school. I mean, what does that look like for you? How do, how do you kind of decipher through that and find the kids that are going to help you win the national title? Well, um, it's, it's, it, I'm, I'm not saying it's funny. I don't want anybody to feel sorry for Virginia because it's such a great school to recruit to, but the, sure. the challenge really for us is, um, you know, I feel like, and, and you probably know this as well. Um, you need depth to win national championships. The way the soccer season set up in college, you have to have depth. And so you, you can't get by with 11 players. You have to have a good nucleus of players. Um, and the way our sport's structured with scholarships, you know, you might have to have somebody who may be not getting a full scholarship or on smaller amounts of money. And so that's where you have to really dig and find those players that uh, love the game, want to get better, have potential to get better, um, and can contribute in, in ways that, uh, that, uh, it's really about, um, you know, looking at like what I told you before, some of the, some of the things that we inherently look for in a, in, a, in an athlete, you know, Morgan Bryan was a, a unique player, a special player. Um, funny recruiting story with her. I actually, Morgan committed to another call. We, we, we were very, um, we recruited her very hard and she made a decision to go to another school in the fall of her senior year. Now, I don't know why I did this. This is, I've never done this before nor since, but I did not fill her scholarship. So you can imagine she might've committed to the other school in October. I did not fill her scholarship. I waited and I still to this day don't know why, but in February she decommitted and she opened the process up again and uh, she committed to Virginia after that. I don't know what, if, if I didn't have a full scholarship for her though, I don't know if she would have come. Uh, and so that was, that was just a completely uh, random thing that, that happened. Um, and it happens a lot. I think timing, as you well know, Justin, probably the timing in recruiting is so, you know, Absolutely. It's, it's, it's just that it's kind of like marriage, you know, the timing has got to work out for, for you to find that person. It's the same thing in, in recruiting. Um, 
but we, we're fortunate. Uh, I think there are a lot of in-state kids that want to come to Virginia. And obviously, Virginia, there's a difference between in-state tuition and out-of-state tuition. And the costs are, are much. Uh, Jeff Thomas Jefferson, who, uh, you know, built the University of Virginia, he, he wanted to educate all Virginians. And so it's a public school and, and, and it's cost half the, you know, half of what it costs for an out-of-state. That's what it costs for an in-state. So it's a good deal for in-state students and Virginia is a good soccer state. So we're fortunate in that regard. And we've benefited from a lot of very good players that uh, have, have played in-state and come to Virginia and have done a great job for us, you know. Yeah, there's something to be said about a kid that just loves your place, wants to be there. Maybe they need a year and you got the benefit of a red shirt. Maybe, maybe you're like, you know what? This kid loves it. I got a superstar in her position anyways. Let's get her. Maybe it's like you said, it's in state. So, you know, she's going to pay much, much less and you don't have to give her a big chunk. And then she's just going to grind for that year and just get after it and improve it. And then next thing you know, you got a kid that just loves your place, has the 20 hoodies in her closet already and is now ready to go for your place. And that's just, we put a ton of value in that as well. When someone writes us in at the smaller D3 level, when you when you, you could tell like, oh, wow, this kid loves our school. This kid loved it. And then when they get here, you could tell a difference. I mean, not saying the kid like, ah, oh, you know, I guess I'll just go to UVA or I'll just go, just go to CNU isn't also going to give you that same effort. But there is something about the kid that just is you could tell like, oh, I love this school. I want to be here. I've wanted to for a while and I'm just. I'm giving you everything I've got for four or even five years if I'm redshirted or yeah. whatever comes along. I mean, there's just something to be said about that. We we had a kid from Roanoke, um, Kate Norbo. Now, Kate was a state player. That's the highest level she went. Um, she, she played a bunch of different sports. Um, she played for the Roanoke Stars, but um, I, I, I she wasn't a top 200 kid in the country. But Kate fit perfectly into what we were looking for uh, from a midfielder she and she was a competitor real competitor very motivated um and uh she ended up starting for us in the national championship game and uh you know it's a great story now was she ready to compete right away uh no but she developed and and she worked at her game and she fit in perfectly to our style and uh, it was a great success story so those things happen a lot and uh i think that's one of the reasons why I love coaching so much is, you know, to get these players in here who maybe uh, are under the radar. It took me a while. I was a three sport athlete in high school, didn't develop, uh, you know, compete fully in soccer until I got to college. So I had a lot of time. I had to make up a lot of time. But I I think my uh, experience playing the other sports helped me a lot once I did fully focus on soccer. And uh, I think those things are that's what college is about. And and you weren't even. Are you, are you the best athlete in your marriage? Wasn't uh, Julie Shackford no, no, told me that year? <laughs> no, my, wife, my wife was way better. Uh, she she played basketball at Michigan State, so we we yeah. met. You, Justin, you probably could relate to this, but we I my I knew the women's basketball coach at Michigan State, and uh, she told me she she wanted us the soccer team to play the women's basketball team because she thought uh, faster, quicker athletes, you know, would help her team. So. Uh, so we ended up playing them every Wednesday night in the summer for the four weeks of camp. And these were absolute wars. I mean, it was the most competitive game. But I covered my wife for two years and we didn't say a word to each other. We just competed. <laughs> so, that's, anyway, awesome. that's how I met my wife. And she's, <laughs> she's way better than I, you know. <laughs> yeah, we could thank Julie Shackford for that little tidbit. That's uh, she sent that to me and. Uh... So yeah. make sure to ask about your wife yeah, and uh, yeah. your prowess. Um, I'll go back to the story about the kid from uh, Roanoke. And, you know, what did you see in her that, you know, obviously I'm guessing since she didn't like jump right on the field for you right away, that she wasn't the best technically, but you saw something in her that was special and, and stood out to you, kind of an intangible things that, that maybe you saw that, that led you to recruit her? Well, she, she was, she has one of these, you know, she, she, she never quit. That was one thing that I, I saw right from the beginning. She, you know, when, when you watch players and uh, that's something I really look for the competitive side, you know, 
Emily Sonnet, who you probably know, she's on the national team now and doing quite well. Uh, Emily Sonnet lost a 4 nothing in the championship game of the national uh, club championships. And when I when I was watching her, it was 3 nothing in the second half with 30 minutes to go. And the, the, team, the player that was competing the most in that game was Emily Sonnet. That's all I need to see, you know. So she's down three nothing. She probably she's playing against a superior team. They're they're beating her, but that kid's competing and she's she's never never quit. And that's the one of the things that I saw in, in this in Kate uh, when she mm-hmm. played for Rono. But the other side was was you you felt you could see some of her skills. Uh, she was a, she was had really good feet, um, and she she was a really smart player. She made good decisions. And so those are things that we felt we could work with. And then when you surround her now with a Morgan Bryan, because she played in that same era, a Danielle Colaprico, who's an eight-year veteran in the pros now, you know, her her play just, you know, it brought out, she could do, she was a competitor and she played in a very similar way to those guys and her game elevated uh, playing alongside of those. So, and she was willing to, you know, she was a runner in high school as well. And she, she was a great engine for us. She could, she could get end line to end line, not just box to box, but end line to end line. And, uh, she fought to win the ball back. So, I mean, these are things that are intangibles that you, you don't know, you're not sure you see it, but, but when she started to play for us, you could, this came out, this was really apparent. So it was just getting her used to how fast the game was at the college level which she adapted to really well and then bringing the qualities that she had uh, and meshing those with the players that we had in the program already. And, and that, that was, that, that's been something that that's one of the things I I'm sure Justin, you love about soccer, but I love about soccer is uh, bringing a bunch of skill sets together to, to, to form a, a great core and a great unit that, that, uh, that have different dimensions. But, you know, the, the object is to, put the ball in the back of the net on one side and keep it out in the other. And, and if you get 11 players that are, are really bought into those things, they can, they can perform really well. So. Yeah. I, I would, I would doubt that there's a national championship ever in the history of national championships where there wasn't a, at least one story in their starting lineup where like this kid was not supposed to be with us. I mean, I just, I would believe that if every coach that won a national title just told us how they recruited every kid, they would get to one of their starters and be like, well, interesting story and you know I, every year I go recruiting I, I pick up a kid where I'm like I honestly can't tell you exactly why I'm recruiting this kid but I there's just something about them I just love it whatever it is it could be on the field it could be off could just be like I remember recruiting this kid from Richmond and it wasn't even something really I mean I really liked him I was watching him but I was sitting kind of close to the bench and he tackled somebody it was a hard tackle and they call like all the bench goes, oh, there's another Noah smash. They call it the Noah smash. I'm just like, yeah, I got to have this kid. I, 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 He's pretty good. Don't get me wrong. I liked a lot of the qualities. He could definitely play in a CNU like 100 kids from Virginia could. But there was just something, just something about him that tugged at my heartstrings. I just got to have this kid. And uh, I'm sure, Coach, you've got a few of those every year, like one or two. Maybe I, it just there's well, there's more than just oh the kid's good enough to play for us it's going to help us win there's always more to the story yeah and i think that's one of the best things that you could you could tell uh potential prospects is i think it's really important that the coaches that are recruiting that prospect there's something they like about that prospect they you know it it might be that uh so, some coach um for whatever reason uh you know, doesn't appreciate the qualities that that prospect has, you know, I don't think I, my, my, in my experience, that's not going to change, you know, so find the, find the coaches that do see something in you. That's quite good. And and those are the, those are the schools that if you want to play, those are the schools that you should be focusing in on. Even if it means you might have to adjust your, your thought process a little bit, you know, for the longest time, uh, Becky Sauerbrunn played for us. Becky for three years could not get into a national team camp. I don't think it was Becky was a, 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 I don't think it was Becky's ability at all. It's just her qualities didn't jibe with the coach at the time. And, and it was, it wasn't, nobody was, you couldn't fault anybody there. You know, I think there are certain things that, 
that Becky needed to get better at, and she was uh, committed to doing that. But it was, it wasn't anything other than you have these qualities, and I value these qualities. And and it, and so once they got a coach in there that valued Becky's qualities, I think off she went. You know, and that happens so often. But I think I think players sometimes don't think they're uh, a, a good player or try to change who they are. Uh, when in actuality, that what their strengths are are good. You know, you just have to find the right fit for you. And uh, my my experience says if a coach doesn't see you as a fit, then you need to you need to understand that and find a coach that does, or keep exploring until you find coaches that value what you bring to the table as a recruit. Yeah, that's that's a hundred percent correct. I'm, I'm glad you you brought you brought up Becky. I, I wanted to shift a little bit if you're if you're ready, Scott. Uh, a little bit of the national team that you've, you've experienced some, uh, some good stories. I'm sure there I'm actually good buddies with Allie Krieger. I grew up with her okay. her brother. Uh, her dad was my coach. Her brother yeah. and I played club high school and college together. So I've known Allie since the mid nineties. And I mean, she was a superstar. And Great fun. soccer family. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, do you have maybe, maybe you got a fun story? I mean, I, I still remember watching her score in that game winning PK, uh, was it Brazil after Abby Wambach scored the header goal? I mean, what a what an epic game! I mean, what 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 experience do you have? Not not just with Allie, of course, but you know, give us a little little tidbits on you know your thoughts of being with the national team and what that was like. I mean, what a what a cool experience that must have been. Yeah, it was a, it was a really good experience. I um, I joined the national team in two thousand fourteen, um, and I I was with them. The full team, that is. I was with the full team in, we were, it was in the summer of 2014 before qualifiers. The qualifiers happened in the fall of 2014. And then the World Cup in 2015 in Canada, the Olympics in 2016, and then the World Cup in 2019. So uh-huh. I was with them a good long time. Um, obviously, Allie was a big big part of, of, of those teams. Um, I think Allie... Ali is an amazing, uh, I think, player in the sense that she did it so well for so long, you know. And um, I think the game, uh, the game's changed a lot over time. And I think one of the things that I've witnessed in my time, you know, that the the World Cup in 2015 was was unique in that we had uh, a good mix. There was a lot of Older players who had been through some World Cups, the Abby Wambachs, the Shannon Boxes, the Christy Rampones, uh, you know, the, 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 those players as, like Allie. And then a lot of new faces, the Morgan Bryans, uh, the Julie Ernst, um, uh, you know, the, the newer players that were coming onto the scene, I think. Alex Morgan at that time was, was a little, still relatively young. Um, so that that dynamic was interesting because, um, you know, you kind of had to mesh two different styles. You know, there were the players that played for Pia back in the day, and then there Jill was bringing in a, a new kind of way that the, the a new style of the national team. It was, you know, again just trying to adapt and adjust to the modern game, which was changing all the time. So, sure. um, and I think the same things happened through 2019. Different different groups. So. Um, the national team is, I, I enjoyed that level so much because I think every country has a different style and it's based on their culture and, um, it's so different, you know, sometimes, I don't know if you notice this, but sometimes when you watch club soccer, um, you know, it starts off, maybe the club team wants to play a certain way, but then it kind of divulges into, (laughs) into, uh, uh, of much of what you see in club soccer, which is not a lot of possession, a lot of back and forth. There's a lot of competition and athleticism, but it becomes more of a transition game. Um, but in, in the international game, uh, these, these teams are very committed to their style, no matter what, you know? And I, I love that because it's so different from one country to an, another. And they have to adjust based on the talent level that they have and the pool that they have. And so you see a Japan who incredibly technical, not a lot of players that are tall players or athletic players, but very skillful, uh, play together really well, understand their role within the system, and you're going to have to really beat them. Um, 
at their game, you know? And so it's, 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 it's very interesting. Nigeria, different Nigeria, a team that's very athletic, very transition oriented. Um, not a lot of as much organization, although I feel that's changing now um, with their team. So it's, it's really interesting and it's, it's fun. It's fun to coach in that environment because the styles are so different. So. Yeah. And, and you're, you're, you're hundred percent correct. You go watch you go recruiting, you go watch clubs. And I think you're right. I think that they all start a certain way, but uh, most of the games look similar, yeah. you know, and, you know, it's just the way it is. And some people ask, you know, what's, what's it like when you get to college and it's not anywhere near what you experience at the world cup level, but there's a lot more like, Hey, we need to prepare for what this school yeah. does. It's way different than the club game. Uh, in that regard, and of course, you saw it on a on a you know the highest magnitude you could at the at the national team level. I mean, it's such a cool thing, and um, yeah, I mean, I was just thinking like I, I ran into Marta actually at the at the airport at a convention. I mean, first of all, I didn't realize that she wasn't like I don't know. I think Marta, I think of like a, some six five just monster. She's not. No. And what a sweetheart she was, by the way. I mean, she didn't have to talk to me at all, and and what a special player. And you had to play against her. I mean, what, how do you deal with her? I mean, what's it's like good luck, you know. You know, you know three girls on her. I mean, wow, she was we, special. We went to um, we went to Brazil. We went to Brazil in 2014 in December, and uh, I, I we had just lost the national championship game, and uh, I flew from Florida to Brazil, met met up with the national team, and we played a tournament there, and we absolutely got smoked by Brazil. Um, it was kind of the end of, end of the year for our our players, and so, I, but I think the combination of sort of a long season, uh, plus we were in Brazil playing the U.S. At, in their home stadium, and I'm telling you, the, the stadium was rocking, and we just got smoked. <laughs> um, and Marta ran riot. Uh, she was right. she was kind of in her prime then, and uh, uh, but she's she's such a unique talent. Um, but it, it, I think it showcases her and the Brazil team uh, showcases kind of the evolution of, of women's soccer in our country. You know, you, you just can't. I remember in 2014, I'll give you this example. In 2014, uh, we played five games in the qualifiers. Uh, we played Guatemala, El Salvador, uh, Trinidad and Tobago, Costa Rica and Mexico. And uh, we won we won all five games. But I remember. Um, I was, uh, I brought some of, um, some of our match analysis to the national team at the time. And one of the things I was tracking was unforced turnovers. So, and what I thought was interesting about unforced turnovers, it, it didn't have anything to do with the other team. So for instance, if a player, if I, if a player passed the ball out of bounds from 12 yards out, there was no pressure on her. That would have been an errant pass. That would have been one on kind of an unforced turnover. Um, if they tried to play a ball in behind a back line and it was it was not uh, received or it, it it didn't end up penetrating, that wouldn't be an unforced turnover because that's what you're you're trying to encourage. That's part of penetrative play. You want them to to look for opportunities to play the ball in behind. Um, if I played a ball to you, Justin, and it bounced off your uh, kneecap and there's nobody around you, that could be a poor first touch. That's an unforced turnover. And so we were tracking these. Um, in the in the qualifiers and uh you'd be surprised my college team averaged less than 14 unforced turnovers a game um it doesn't matter you know if you're playing against roger federer in tennis and he hits you a a a, a, a ball right in your sweet spot in your forehand and you hit that back in the net that's nothing roger Fed that's an unforced turnover that's you right. that's on you um and so we track those in those uh, in those qualifiers, we were averaging over forty unforced turnovers a game. Whoa! Now you think about that. There's no way in the modern game that would. There's no way you could do that. The reason we were successful is because we could win the ball back very easily. We had superior athletes, um, and and it was if even if we lost the ball, we could win it back. Um, but there's no way we could have been able to do that in the World Cup. So over the next year, we were tracking this um, and we kept giving the feedback. This was something we emphasized over and over again, how important it was to value the ball. And in the World Cup, 
uh, in the games in the World Cup, we averaged almost 16. So that's a huge difference. And I think one of the reasons that uh, we were successful in that World Cup um, is if we would average 40 against teams like Germany and Japan, there's no way uh, in the modern game with those teams, the quality of players that have, we would have won the ball back as easily and would have much, much more physical game. So I think that's just, those are just some of the ways that the game's changing and how we have to change. And we have, but I still think we have to continue to change in order to, uh, to maintain our place as a top country in the world in women's soccer. I agree. Yeah. Um, talk a little bit about um, the difference in the players and, you know, philosophy in uh, bringing players into the group, you know, I, I know that you were with some of the younger national team groups as well. So talk about, you know, are you developing players there? I mean, you're not looking for finished products at U17, right? So you're, how are you, what's kind of the blend of um, polishing a team versus developing players to be, you know, long-term uh, members of the, yeah. the pool? Well, at that time, I, I feel at that time there was, and and rightfully so, you know, we're such a big country that, and, you know, when I first started out with the youth national teams, we might've had three camps per year. So, you know, you want to try to bring in the players you feel have the most potential. Maybe they're not the best players at that particular point in time, but they have the potential to be the best players at the, you know, down the road. And so there's a big difference between looking at uh, those players who are the best players at their age group uh, and the players that have the best potential to be the best players at, at down mm-hmm. the road. And because those are the ones, those are the players you want to invest in. Um, our country, the more camps we can have, uh, the more you can evaluate and the better you can assess those players. So it was nice to see at the youth national team level a lot more structure uh, from the early nine, from the early nineties, uh, through to the two thousands, there were more camps, there was more resources put in the youth national teams. And I think in, in, I think that helped, um, not only develop players, but also, um, evaluate players that could be, um, the next Mallory Swanson, the next Sophia Smith, the next Lindsay Horan, uh, those kinds of things. And I think I think you need those camps where you can bring them in, assess them, but also then bring them back and again and again so they can keep getting experience um, at the national team level. It's different, you know. I mean, I, I look at my the under twenty national the under twenty national team that won uh, in the two thousand twelve. That was the last youth national team that won a world championship was in two thousand twelve. You think about that now. So that was, we took that team to Japan. Crystal Dunn was on that team. Julie Ertz was on that team. Sam Ewis was on that team. Morgan Bryan was on that team. Um, uh, there, there was a, that was a good contingent of, of players there uh, that, that competed on that team and did well. Um, and I think if you ask those players, um, they would tell you that that experience really helped them. You know, it's totally different totally different uh, club situation, totally different a college situation than an international situation. Um, it's just, it's just a different game. I mean, um, and it's a different tournament. You're not used to that. Um, and so I think that uh, um, those kind of experience are invaluable for players and how can we get those players uh, into that? Now we're not, we're not, you know, we're not making the, the, the finals of, of world championships. So they're not getting that experience as much anymore. And that's, that's something we have to look at and how can we get better at that? Um, because I think that's, that's, that's really helped us, you know, really helped us. So um, I think it's, it's, uh, it's a challenge. It's going to be a challenge for us now um, since there's a lot more emphasis now in the, the world game at, at internationally, there are more and more, federations are putting way more resources into the women's game than they ever have. And you can see what's happening as a result of that. And so we're going to have to, we're going to have to keep on top of that, you know, and that that's going to make a difference for us. So. Yeah. Um, I wanted to shift gears one more time. I know we're getting close to the end of the hour here, but um, 
uh, talk about the uh, the transfer portal NIL, um, how that's impacting, you know, a big program like UVA. Um, how much are you using the portal? Uh, is N- is NIL kind of trickling down to the Olympic sports at your level um, and that sort of thing? Just kind of give a broad. Um, uh, I guess, a summary of, of how you see that impacting now and then on down the road. Well, I, I would say, you know, not too long ago, I, I think we were recruiting high school, uh, just high school club players. That was the bulk of our pool was high school club players. Um, uh, and I think it's a little different in the men's game because uh, I think the international game for the men's game has grown at an earlier time than the, the women's game. The women's game now is catching up, and I think the women's there are more players at the international level um, that can compete at the highest level of Division One now in our country. So that's another uh, pool of players that you can look for now. Um, the transfers now are, are another one. You know, you you can't you can't not look at transfers now if you if you want to compete. Um, because there are so many good players now that are coming and that are looking to get into the transfer portal. So that's another element. Even your players, uh, you know, that your players have playing during COVID. I'm, I'm looking at recruiting players that have played for me that have, have an extra year of COVID eligibility. That's another pool of players that we can draw from to recruit right. that, that wasn't on the table. Now we can only do that one more year because uh, those are the the players that got affected by COVID is only one more year coming. But, you know, there's what I'm saying is there's way more uh, of uh, there's way more uh, a pool of players that, that you can look for than just club players um, in this day and age. And so mm-hmm. it's changed things a lot. Um, and I think it's going to change things dramatically as we go forward now. I think there are players decommitting because of NIL deals now in our sport. Mostly you saw that a year ago in football and basketball, but I think that's happening now in soccer and probably other sports as well. So these are real recruiting issues that we have to take up and, and understand. And I think, I think the, the, the big, and, and the other side is our pro games developing. So now there are more players in the women's side that are turning pro and foregoing college. And so, you know, as, as a coach, you have to do your homework on the front end to figure out, okay, who's a really good match for your university, who values education, um, who can obviously compete and make an impact in your program. And, you know, you could, you could see that internationally, you could see that, um, a transfer portal wise, you can see that club wise, or you could see that even with players. Uh, coming back and having an extra year that are on your team already. So it's, it's, it's made for, um, it's a difficult challenge because you have to do that, but you have to be that much better of a financial planner as a coach, a college coach, because you have to make your money. You have to look at your money and see where it's going. And you might have to save some money potentially because, um, you know, there might be somebody in the transfer portal that you feel could, could impact your program and you want to be ready for that when the time comes. So there's a lot more, um, uh, you know, and again, you're going to have all these cards available to you and it's about playing them at the right time. I, I keep going back to that timing thing. That's yeah. such a, that's such an interesting dynamic to it. You know, uh, you know, in one month you might have money and then just in 30 days time, you might not. And so it could be the difference between you getting a player and not getting a player. That's what I'm talking about with timing or, right. or you yeah. might, you might not, know about a player that could fill a position and, and you know, that one's not available at this point in time. So there's a lot of different elements to it and it, it makes it that much more. I think, I think it's changing. It's constantly in flux, I guess I would say, and you have to be constantly on top of it. Um, looking at your big board and sort of making sure that you're ready for um, some things that ha- inevitably happen one way or the other. Yeah. Um, that's, uh, it's an ever changing landscape. So it's just something that, you know, obviously you guys are all paying attention to. I can give you an example. We, we recruited a player from Norway several years ago Uh, she was a great player. Um, and we were excited about her 
she committed, um, and then COVID hit. And so we, as a, as a ACC school, we were one of the few schools that started up again during that COVID fall. And I told her, I said, listen, um, we are not sure whether this, this is going to happen or not in the fall. You're playing full-time in your country. Stay there, play there. We'll have you come in in January. I thought that was to be a good thing, you know, keep her playing because we didn't know whether how many games we were going to play. Well, in November of that year, uh, she she got an offer from PSG and she turned pro. So <laughs> so we lost her, you know. So we started to recruit another player from overseas, committed her in December, and she ended up decommitting in the spring. Um, so there we were, we were we were stuck without a forward. And I remember we had played in the semifinal of the na- the national championship. Uh, our NCAA tournament went to the spring that year. Uh, they didn't do it in the fall. So we lost in the semifinals of the national championship. I came home the next day. I looked in the transfer, but I don't know why I did it. I just randomly looked in the transfer portal and there was a kid who we were really excited about. And two days later, she committed to Virginia. And she was a starter for us, first round draft pick in the NWSL two years later. But again, really awkward, weird right. flow of the recruiting process. But we ended up with a kid that really helped us in the long run. And we got her in the transfer portal. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, well, I want to be respectful of your time. I know we're, we're just at an hour. So, um, Steve, I can't thank you enough. This has been fantastic. Um, thank you for coming on and being generous with your time anytime let me know if you want to do this again so i'm always I always yeah. enjoy chatting soccer so it's it's, yeah. it's fun as justin exactly. knows we do a lot of things uh that are not soccer related you know uh when you're a college coach so it's always good oh, to yeah. get, get get together with good soccer people and talk soccer so i appreciate it yes yeah, sir thank we'll you very much Steve. definitely have you on again for sure i really appreciate it okay Good to talk to you. Justin, good to be here. I'll see you soon, I hope. Thanks, Steve. Yeah, I'll see you on the field soon. Yep. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Tales from the Trail podcast by Matchplay. If you're enjoying the podcast and find it valuable, please consider visiting buymeacoffee.com slash matchplay. These small donations collectively help offset costs and other expenses associated with production of the podcast so I can continue to offer this service for free. Please take an extra minute to rate and review the podcast where you listen. This is a huge help. Share the podcast with whomever you think would be interested and will help in their process. Check us out on matchplayrecruit.com for our social media links. See you on the trail.